1: Welcome again to the Explaining History podcast and I am delighted to be joined today by historian Jean Felzer, um, Professor of History at the University of Delaware. Uh, we, we did have a kind of, there's a longer version of that but we decided to condense it for, for now. Um, and we have a fascinating, fascinating exploration today, uh, about the hidden history of California as a slave state um normally when we talk about slave states rightly we consider these slave the states of the Confederacy um and that's brought to mind because of the fact that you know that they were the combatants in the Civil War and of course the um civil rights period uh, that comes later um, Obviously, the the history is centered around there, but it's not as simple as that. the The long and bloody history of slavery extends throughout the United States in all sorts of different forms, and mm-hmm. California um, is, uh, despite it, it, its its kind of outward appearance, has has a, a long history of it. Um, Jean has just written a superb book, which I've been reading, California, A Slave State, and we'll talk more about that later. But firstly, Jean, welcome to the podcast.
2: Uh, thank you for having me.
1: Okay. So to begin with, perhaps what we can do is talk a little bit about how the book came about, and perhaps a little bit about the research too. Tell us about it.
2: I had finished um, my last book called Driven Out, The Forgotten War Against Chinese Americans. And it's the story of the 300, over 300 roundups, purges, expulsions, um, and the resistance by the first Chinese Americans who had come to the United States. And I had collected many archives for that book. I didn't it was my first trade book, and I didn't expect. I didn't expect it to have the audience or the impact that it ended up having. And in talking about it and looking through the photographs that I collected for that book, a little photograph that someone had had handed me it really haunted me. And I stared at it, it's been over my desk. And it's an image of a very young Chinese girl. I think she's about 12 to 14 years old. And it's a small frame and she's behind a cage. Mm. And this young girl was a kidnapped child prostitute who had been seized in Guangdong, in the ports of Canton, maybe in Hong Kong. She had crate in a padded crate. She had been taken off the dock, sold at the port in San Francisco, very much like we think of slave sales in Louisiana.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: She had been taken to a locked brothel in Chinatown in San Francisco and kept behind a cage door. There she solicited customers as they passed by. The cage would be open. She serviced the customers sometimes up to 20 a day, which was unthinkable for me, and then her owner or pimp, who would have been the wife of a Chinese merchant,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, would take the money, draw uh, open the curtain, and sell her a Her picture, what kept coming up, was what happened to the 13th Amendment. I kind mm-hmm. of knew, in fact, there was a tong, and she had been taken in by the tong and strip searched and sold yeah so as i as I looked at this picture and I have two daughters, as I looked at this picture, I was just haunted by how did this come to be, how did it mm-hmm. take apart my notion of California? So this little girl is one bookend right of, of California, a slave state. There are many, but the one that made me take keyboard in hand, was up in Northern California, I read in the local newspaper, this was about eight, nine years ago, mm-hmm. that a 15-year-old girl had escaped from a, a marijuana grow up in Northern California, very close to where I have a cabin. I I love Northern California, the redwoods, the lagoons and this felt very close to home. Mm. This 15-year-old girl had been wandering the streets of Hollywood. She was a runaway, homeless, and she gets picked up by two guys who drive her 800 miles up the length of the state. And she's locked in a metal crate. They drill two holes into the crate, one to prod her and one to hose her down. And they let her out to sexually service the growers, perhaps the field workers, or to trim the buds from the cannabis plant in late August and early September. It's very hot. She was in a place called Lake County, an inland county. One day they take her to Sacramento they need to do the state capitol. Mm-hmm. They need to do some shopping. And they lock her in a motel room while they go shopping. She sees a telephone, dials 911, and she frees herself. Mm-hmm. And that this is very close to where we have a cabin that it's been in my family for 30 years.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It felt very close to home. I'm surrounded by what's called the Emerald Triangle up here, where mm-hmm. I am speaking to you from. It's the one of the marijuana capitals of the world. People are quite casual about it up here. And I stumbled into the fact that there were trafficked field workers working in the marijuana groves. Mm -hmm. But mostly, I was just haunted by this kid, her courage and the horrific brutality, humiliation, fear, rapes um, that she endured. And I just kept wondering, how did this happen in this beautiful part of the world where the Redwoods meet the coast? How did this happen here? And what had happened to the Thirteenth Amendment? So those were the two bookends that drove me into yeah. this history, and then it went much much further back than I'd initially conceived.
1: Yes, because I mean, this the 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 book goes back, um, you know, even before the kind of the. Um, should we say the, 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 the Anglo European settlement of California? It goes back into um the sort of the uh Spanish uh period and, and also I, I notice that you met you you look at how there was a, a Russian uh kind of Pacific slave trade. Um so it, it's it's a kind of a quite a, a long history of of California of, of the the prevalence of slavery in California, and, and obviously it talks about the treatment of the Native American peoples. I, I think that, I think that there's this one thing that um, that really resonates with me when you talk about you know what you know what happened to the Thirteenth Amendment, and this is something that I I have talked about in this podcast a lot. Is this kind of the fallacy of happy ever afters? Um. And the way in which history is taught and it's it's not so much a criticism of high school history teaching because high school history teachers do the best they can with what they've got but we teach this thing in the uk particularly and my guess is it probably happens in america is we teach this illusory happy ever after we teach it after the emancipation of the uh, slaves in america we teach it uh, about the ending of the british slave trade we teach it about the civil rights era that after a certain kind of particularly momentous event, like in any sort of, we follow this kind of, this kind of movie script in our heads um, that, you know, when a, often a heroic white man says, right, that bad thing is over and done with then, you know, reason and compassion prevail. And this is simply not, not true. With California, because it has the the sort of the reputation of being, you know, one of the the more liberal states of America, how well that reputation is actually deserved, I don't know. Does it manage to evade kind of quite a lot of scrutiny, do you think?
2: I think historians have presumed and activists and politicians have presumed for a long time the North-South divide of slavery in the United States. And they think about the Confederacy and the free states. They don't always, although more and more, consider the way that slavery had plantation slavery and the profits from plantation slavery had seeped into the North with ships being built in New England, with the insurance companies in Boston, Ensuring human beings, the bodies of human beings, Mm -hmm. the profits, the tax profits from cotton and tobacco. I didn't know that, and also the mills, that all those beautiful mills on the rivers up in New England that are milling cotton, people hadn't really put together the obvious, like, where did all that cotton come from? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that New York had considered seceding, um, and that had to do with the port of New York, Mm -hmm. that if there was a civil war or if slavery, plantation slavery came to an end, the port in New York would go broke because that was the transfer point, not just of human beings, but the transfer point of cotton Mm -hmm. and also the source for tobacco with huge profits that were shipped all over the world. Mm -hmm. So it was much more extensive and profitable in the North. And that those discussions are now happening more and more.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: What wasn't happening was what happened out West. And there, in terms of plantation slavery, I didn't know. And Nick, I had, I went to Berkeley for my BA and MA, I was really lucky. I studied with the best. I worked with Kenneth Stamp, who is <clears throat> one of the foundational historians about American slavery. And no one talked about California. California's slavery begins with the invasion by the Spanish in 1769, and it goes through to modern human trafficking, like the girl that I had talked about Mm -hmm. in terms of plantation slavery even as a Californian who had studied this stuff I didn't know that plantation owners marched 2,000 enslaved African Americans marched Mm -hmm. across the plains or shipped them down to Panama there was no Panama Canal up the Chagra River Mm -hmm. Carrying all of the miners' equipment from the gold rush period, the Mm -hmm. tents, the shovels, the pans, through the jungles of Panama, rowing up the Chaga River, carrying them on their backs down the other side, and waiting with thousands of other miners from all over the world for a ship to carry them up to San Francisco And then on to Sacramento, which was the jumping off point for the gold rush. Mm
0: -hmm. Many
2: boats didn't want to carry African-Americans or they charged $300 more to transport an enslaved African-American just because they could. People were competing greedy, desperate for seats on those ships, places on those ships. I didn't know that there were plantation slaves in the gold rush, and I didn't know that the decision to maintain black slavery, the slavery of of enslaved African-Americans, would be, in fact, written into California's constitution. Mm -hmm. That part of California being admitted as a state to the United States was drafted in a brilliant loophole into the California Constitution. And then it's good for go. California starts to copy the laws from the East Coast that allowed slavery to continue, that allowed for the capture of runaway or fugitive slaves Mm -hmm. to be seized. Um, I didn't know that there was this Incredible meeting up around the the 1850s, the decade right before the Civil War of enslaved blacks and free blacks, enslaved blacks brought out to California, didn't know that they were free. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. California's constitution says slavery will never be tolerated in this state. Mm -hmm. The constitution was written by slaveholders. And that loophole is written into the constitution tolerate is not a legal standard. So they bought themselves an out in the way they drafted the Constitution. And that out becomes the good for go copying laws from the East Coast Mm -hmm. for them to maintain the ownership of enslaved Blacks in California. Right. So as we look at all these different populations of enslaved people in California, even to take down, to question the most common awareness of slavery in the United States, which is still plantation slavery, that notion, that history, the one that is now not allowed to be taught in Florida, <laughs> Yeah, that you know, that that enslaved people thrived under slavery because they learned how to be a blacksmith. Um, if we hear that blacksmith uh trade one more time, it's ridiculous that anyone thrived under that brutality. Mm. But we're still fixated on plantation slavery as the only form of human bondage yeah. in the United States.
1: Yeah well i mean i i always made this point when i taught um the the atlantic slave trade um to, to my year 9 pupils that you know that slavery has not ended and it it's perhaps more widespread now than it it, it actually has ever been um and so and this, this is again this is quite a, a sort of like um it's quite a cathartic moment sometimes for for, for, for school students as well. Um,
2: it works for me.
1: Yeah. And I, I think there are some, some very interesting parallel processes. Whenever you look at British and American history, they it doesn't exactly mirror each other, but it often rhymes. I think it's one in, fascinating thing about Britain and America. There, There is... A process in in uh, Britain at the moment. Perhaps this has been learned from America. Perhaps Americans have learned this from Britain. I don't know, but um, uh, of uh, a huge amount of dark money um, is going into historical revisionism around the British Atlantic slave trade. Um, a, a sort of a group of of quite renowned historians, many of them who've, who've kind of essentially disgraced themselves. By uh, coming out with this rubbish, have have said things like you know that the you know the the British Empire was the good empire the you know if you could look at all the other ones and the Belgians in the Congo well we weren't half that bad and um, actually we were the ones that abolished slavery which is to sort of it's a bit like a kind of a robber saying well I I stopped robbing you at a certain point and I should have kind of some sort of credit for that thank you very much. Um, and other all these other sorts of kind of revisionist, um, disingenuous, um, really kind of playing fast and loose with the facts sort of stuff. It's nothing quite as overt as uh, DeSantis in Florida um, actually saying, you know, people benefited from slavery, but there there is a tone of that of uh, you know the that. Um, that, that sort of slaves they you know they were blessed with christianity and you know um they they were able to make i think that one of the lines that has come up with over here is that if it wasn't for slavery you wouldn't have got black british culture or black caribbean culture um okay. and you know the the the, the, the obviously the, the freed peoples in west africa are now looking on in envy wishing if only that could have been us or whatever sort of nonsense but I I guess my question is, why, why do you think we're having this now? What is it about now that means on both sides of the Atlantic there's this immense revisionism about slavery?
2: Well, uh, I think there's very powerful right-wing movements, um, you know, sitting at the top of that is, of course, Donald Trump um, and all of the... Um, you know, that kind of revisionist history. I think that what I didn't know initially was that the links between Britain and the United States that Britain wanted to come in on the south the kind I'm sorry, Britain wanted to come in on the side of the South Mm -hmm. in the Civil War to feed all of the cotton in the mills up you know, in the north around Manchester and Mm -hmm. north of Manchester. And in fact, when Britain decides not to come in on the side of the civil war, they turn to Argentina and Egypt um, Mm -hmm. with all kinds of versions of unpaid, unfree labor in order to supply those mills Mm -hmm. as well as ships and the insurance companies Um, if one takes a tour of Liverpool and goes to the amazing Slavery Museum in Mm -hmm. Liverpool, one sees the endurance of British slavery and the profitability Mm -hmm. of British slavery, and the fact that even though Britain committed to guard the coast of Africa from slave ships, they were kidnapping slaves off of those ships to sell for their own profit. Mm -hmm. That's a rather different story than than what happened in California mm-hmm. with um, the endurance of slavery. That a story that I very much like to teach is Frederick Douglass's, the great abolitionist. Mm-hmm. One wrote one little piece of fiction. Fiction. Frederick Douglass, the great abolitionist, wrote one little piece of fiction called "The Heroic Slave." And it's the slave revolt on the ship, the Creole, a true story, the leader of the revolt was Madison, Washington, and they end up in the Bahamas. Mm -hmm. And the slave revolt works, the enslaved people walk off the ship in the Bahamas, as does Madison, Washington. But the United States, and it's a fictionalized version, it's brilliant, but The United States pays Britain for the ship and it pays Britain who owned the ship. The Creole pays it back for the slaves who walk off the ship in the Bahamas because the um, soldiers, the formerly African soldiers and police in the Bahamas free the enslaved people on the Creole. And the United States sticks it to Britain and says, you owe us for these people. And the United States government pays as it did in other slave revolts. It pays Britain for for those slaves. And that's happening, I believe it was 1847. So we're right on the lead up to the Civil War. So we're kind of shifting into Britain's complicity In our discussion, I think one of the things about slavery in California Mm
1: -hmm. was
2: that California was owned, controlled by a series of empires, not Britain. Um, The Spanish enter first in 1769. Mm -hmm. They're carrying a an order from the emperor and also a bull from the an order. A decree from the Pope in Rome, Mm -hmm. and the order is to invade California and enslave and convert as many Native Californians, Native American Californians. They sort of guess right that there are several hundred thousand Native Californians, Native American Mm -hmm. Californians. There are, in fact, 310,000. And so with this really funky little crew of a hundred Spanish soldiers and eight priests led by Junipera Serra, who was sainted in the past few years for doing this. They invade California at San Diego, the border with Mexico Mm -hmm. and their Franciscans backed up by a hundred, very, very low level Spanish soldiers. And they start to build a chain of 21 missions, which are agricultural slave plantations, with the goals of blocking Russia, who was coming into California from the north, Mm -hmm. of starting plantations that would feed the Spanish and enslaved miners in Mexico and Peru that would grow so they didn't have to take time off of mining they mm-hmm. would grow the food to feed this empire project, a brutal empire project. The Spanish soldiers were really unhappy because they weren't going to get a cut of any of the silver yeah. coming out of the mines that they got when they were in Mexico and Peru. This was a really crummy, low level mm-hmm. assignment to go into the wilderness in California and do what? And it was brutal. So we're looking...
1: We must finish in a a, a moment, uh, Jean, for the uh, the Zoom clock ticks downwards. Um, But Mm. I just think the final thought really is that there are these powerful connections um, throughout everything we talked about between essentially slavery Functioning of empires, the development of of this this thing we call capitalism, um, and they are the you know they, it's impossible to hive the three things off. They they are a kind of almost a seamless whole, um, and the really the kind of the modern world in which we live is is born of this.
2: Each <laughs> empire that invades and controls California brings with it a slight variant, its own species of mm. slavery. The um, the Russians, which was a little known story, come into California with kidnapped Alaska natives. Yeah. They've crossed the Bering Straits and the Aleutian Islands, kidnapping Alaska natives for the otter trade. And yeah. when they've death- the Alaska Native tribes and the otters, they turn right, and they sail down into California for the otter trade and clash with the Spanish.
1: We're just and then- going to run out of time in a, in a second, Gene. I'm very, very sorry. Um, would you like, Gene? because this is such an interesting topic, would you like to make this a two parter i would really love for you to con- to 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 continue this conversation as soon as possible would would that be okay sure um yeah i I'd
2: be, I'd be delighted in it
1: we'll be continuing with this interview hopefully in the next couple of weeks uh, i think it's one of the has been one of the most extraordinary um conversations we've had on the explaining history podcast um, i'm hugely grateful to jean for uh, the the journey that we've been on, on this kind of hidden history of California. Um, So I hope you'll join us for the next part of the interview. Again, I'll put an announcement uh, on the channel or the little social media things that we do, letting you know. But I'd love your feedback. I'd love you guys to let me know what your thoughts were. Um, there's innumerable ways of contacting me via YouTube and Twitter and all all, all that kind of stuff so I'm sure you'll you'll figure that out but uh, it would be be great to hear from you all Um, and uh, let's, uh, let's hear more on this soon thanks ever so much all the best